so many of us who are business people are always searching for that next customer. And sometimes, and I'm guilty of this myself, sometimes we forget about the customers we already have, the people who already support us, the people who are already the fans of the work we've done. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou, and boy, do we have an incredible guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is one of the leading thought leaders in the space of online marketing and in the space of having customers and fans become absolutely enamored with what you do. I saw him deliver his magic at a Tony Robbins virtual experience just a couple of months ago, and I was hooked. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary David Nearman Scott. Welcome to the show, David. Hey, thanks, Nikki. So good to um, to do this with you. Yeah, that Tony Robbins event was awesome, wasn't it? It was off the hook. Fabulous, my friend. Wow. Uh, well, and for, for you as a participant, it was. Imagine being in that virtual studio delivering that presentation like I did. That was pretty cool. Um, for those amazing. who don't know, um, Tony has a, f um, a purpose-built studio with um, – it's a 50-foot round, 20-feet high screen where me as a presenter – I'm able to see as many as 2,000 people all at once. I see them on their screen cams. So, Nikki, you were there somewhere, I'm sure. I could have waved to you if I had, if I had known where you were. <laughs> Man, it was amazing to watch it from uh, from my end, no question about it. And, you know, Tony Robbins is one of the leading thought leaders, period, in the world. If you, if you had to put together a list of the top 10 thought leaders in any field in the world, he'd definitely be on it. And that no studio question. was incredible. I would love to find a way to, to wrangle an invitation to stand on it and speak myself at some point. I'm putting that out there into the universe because he he really did something special. Nobody else is doing anything like what Tony's doing to help make that experience come alive for the people. So no, there's nothing like it. That studio is unbelievable. It's like there's five cameras. There's 30 people working behind the scenes wow. for a virtual event. You know, absolutely incredible. Yeah, truly, truly it is. So David, I got to know you a little bit uh, seeing you deliver your talk at that event. And I, I got to tell you, you blew me away. I took detailed notes. I think I took 30 pages of notes on your talk wow. alone. Thank uh, you. Thank you. And that's why I sought you out to have you come on my show because I thought that my listener – really would benefit from hearing from what you have to say. And I think you'd benefit from having some people in my world hear more about what you do because your stuff is amazing. But the person who listens to this show is an entrepreneur. They're a man, they're a woman who are here to give their heart and soul 
to make the world a better place through the magic of free enterprise. And the reason they listen to this show is they want to learn from you. But before they can truly open their hearts and their souls, as well as their ears to you, they need to get to know you. They need to fall in love with you and your story. So tell us your backstory. How'd you get to be the great David Newman Scott? Uh, um, So I started my career in the corporate world. Uh, Initially on Wall Street, I worked for um, a couple of investment banks. I absolutely hated it. Um, But what I really liked actually was the information that bond traders used um, from companies like Dow Jones and Reuters. So that was the industry I went into for um, the first 15 years of my career. Um, I was um, um, in the sales and marketing area most recently as a a vice president of marketing for one of the divisions of Thomson Reuters. And, um, and you know, it was cool. I liked being a corporate guy, but um, I felt like there was something better for me in the universe. So way back in 2002, so 18 years ago, um, I started my own business. And initially it was consulting. And I was helping people uh, to do better marketing than they were before and um, started writing books. The first one came out very soon after I started my business, did a couple of more books. And then in 2007 – a book I wrote called The New Rules of Marketing and PR um, hit, all the, hit all the international bestseller lists, um, and it just exploded my career. It exploded me as a thought leader because um, the book was just, just really doing fabulously well. It's um, um, arguably the most popular marketing online marketing book ever written. It's sold 400,000 copies in English. Wow. And it's available in 29 other languages from Albanian to Vietnamese. So that really jump-started my speaking career because everyone wanted me to speak once the book um, hit all those international bestseller lists. And um, that was back in 2007, the first edition. It's now in the seventh edition. And uh, so I started speaking all over the world and um, to date, I've spoken in 46 countries, all seven continents. And along the way, I wrote another eight books. The most recent is a book called Fanocracy, Turning Fans into Customers and Customers into Fans, which I wrote with my daughter, Reiko. She's now 28 years old, and she is a scientist. She did a neuroscience degree at Columbia University, and she's now um, a emergency department doctor at Boston Medical Center. So she and I wrote that book together, and it was super fun to dig in deep into how and why people become a fan of a, a, a company, a practice service, an idea, a podcast, a thought leader. Every one of us can, uh, can grow fans. You know, I absolutely love that backstory. And I love that you wrote the book with your daughter. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. I've got a couple of sons. They're they're younger than your daughter. They're 14 and 12. And it would be a dream come true for me to be able to get my sons to write a book with me. It would be absolutely amazing. Make make that a make that the plan and maybe it'll happen. Yeah. You know, in my case, in my case, working on the book with my daughter 
um, uh, kind of we kind of was an, an accident that we backed into because um, about six years ago, I really started thinking deeply about this idea of fandom. Why do people become a fan of something? You know, I've I'm a massive fan of surfing. I love to surf. Love, love, love it. I'm not very good, but I just absolutely love it. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Apollo Lunar Program. Uh, I actually have a museum in my house. I collect artifacts from the Apollo Lunar Program. And I'm also a huge fan of live music. I've been to 804 live concerts in my life. I keep a spreadsheet. Wow. And I've been to 75 Grateful Dead concerts. So I'm, I'm like deep into the whole idea of live music. So these are three. I mean, I have, I have other passions too, but those are three things I'm particularly passionate about. And I was talking to my daughter, Reiko, and I said, you know, it's kind of crazy how, how dug in deep I am with these fandoms. And she said, I know, me too, Daddy. I'm so deep into Harry Potter. And I love to go to Comic-Con and get dressed up with my friends. And so I said to her, you know, I'm thinking about writing a book on fandom. And I wondered if you could help me. At that point, it wasn't about being a co-author. But can you help me um, just think through this idea of fandom? And she said, sure. So we started having these discussions. And, um, and then I realized pretty quickly that, you know what? We should do this together because I'm a you know, a mid fifties white man. And, um, Reiko is half Japanese. My wife is Japanese, um, half Japanese millennial woman. I love the grateful dead. She loves Harry Potter. And, and so we're completely different yet. We have the same ideas about how and why people become a fan of something. And so we decide to do the research and do the writing ourselves. And, and it turned out great, you know, and, um, an interesting, Aside from that, Nikki, is that when you take someone like me who's already had a, a reputation as a thought leader and, um, and then uh, add your daughter to it, um, it actually, number one, increased my stature because, because I had a co-author who was very different than me. But then it also brings Reiko's stature up. Um, she had not been very well known before that. And all of a sudden she's now, and she's now a Wall Street Journal bestselling author because the book has done quite well by virtue of working with her father on this book. So lots of benefits to this project, that's for sure. I love it. That's a wonderful story. So let's dig in to the themes of the book. So talk to me about what is it that you believe has people become fans of things? Because I, when you were reciting the things you're fans of, I was thinking about some things I'm fans of. So I'm a yeah, fan of I mean, personal development in a big way, right? That's one of the reasons I got to connect with you. Uh, I'm a fan of reading. Uh, oddly enough, I'm a fan of knives. I'm a knife collector. Uh, oh, interesting. That's that's cool. So what kind of knives? Tell me a little bit about that. So all kinds of knives, but um, you know Donald Miller, who was at the same event that yes. you were at, right? So I've been listening to Donald Miller's podcast for several years. I purchased his program, Story Brand, uh, which he's now morphed into something else. But one of the uh, modules in Story Brand was about the power of messaging. And Don Lear got mm -hmm. up and said, you know, I went out and I bought a knife. And he said, I have no business buying a knife. The reason that I bought mm -hmm. this knife is because of this very powerful advertisement. And he showed us the advertisement. And the advertisement was by a company called Gerber. And I thought Gerber was a food yep. company, right? <laughs> I mean, Gerber yeah. baby food. But this is right. a knife company out in Oregon. 
and it was the name of the ad was Hello Trouble, and they were just images of tough-looking men who were in tough situations, you know, corralling cattle and in uh, first responder situations where there were major natural disasters like hurricanes. There was a guy who was caught uh, under the wake of a boat and his foot was trapped um, in, a, in a thick rope and he couldn't get out. So he pulled out his Gerber from his pocket and he cut it. And all these kinds of images were nice. very powerfully demonstrated in that ad. I was hooked. I hadn't owned a knife nice. since I was a kid, and I was in my late 40s at the time. And I said, okay, I'm going to go buy a Gerber knife. So I go to Bass Pro Shops. And they go, no, you don't want to yep. buy a Gerber. Gerber's not that great, a knife brand. It's a middling knife brand. They said, you want to buy a Benchmade. So the type of knife that I bought from Benchmade was a folding hunting knife, beautiful yep. knife. And I, I just thought, wow, this looks really cool. But I started getting into more and more uh, different brands of knives. I got mm -hmm. to know some of the CEOs of the manufacturers. I've interviewed a bunch of them on my podcast, including the guy who invented the folding tactical knife for the U.S. Navy SEAL Team 6. His story is pretty oh, wow. amazing. When it comes out, I'll send you the, the link. You, you, you're going to want to listen to that episode because it's fantastic. And I've just become hooked. I own all kinds of knives from fancy knives that are almost pocket jewelry to, you know, hard utilitarian, hard use knives. And they're all awesome. I love carrying them. Even when I'm sitting here interviewing you in my, in my uh, studio office, I've got a beautiful tactical folding knife in my pocket. I carry it with me wherever I go. I'm holding a Todd Allen folding knife right now. I don't know if you know of him, but um, he, he made it for me. It's actually super interesting. Um, I love it. It's super cool. So I'm not, a, I'm not dug in deep like you are, but, um, but I understand that, that love. Um, oh, I heard the, and, I heard the flick of the knife. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I was closing it up there as we were talking, um, you know, and so what, what we learned as we dug into this idea is we really wanted to look at the neuroscience of what's going on in our brains when we become a fan. And it turns out that all humans are hardwired to want to be part of a tribe of like-minded people. And the reason that we want to be part of a tribe of like-minded people is because that's where we feel safe and comfortable and secure because it actually goes back in our ancient brain when we were in danger running around in the woods or on the on the grassy plains or wherever it is that we lived as an ancient humans of being attacked by other humans or other animals but when we were together with our tribe we were safe and comfortable and that's one of the reasons the neuroscience reason for why we want to be part of a tribe of people today whether that tribe of people is fellow knife collectors whether that tribe of people is people who love harry potter whether that tribe of people is people who love the grateful dead whether that tribe of people is people who love tony robbins and so as a thought leader as a business person one of the best things you can do is purposely set out to build a tribe of people who follow you, who support you, who want you to do well, who buy everything you put out. Like in my case, I write books. I've written um, 11 books. I'm thinking about a 12th. And, you know, I've got some people who've told me that they've bought every book I've ever written. And that those are part of my tribe, people who um, who want to be part of the things that I'm doing. And that's super interesting, I think, for all of us to be able to understand that 
once you transcend the idea that you're just trying to sell a product or a service and actually make it bigger than that, make it the idea that you're developing a group of people who like to, to, to be around one another, you're no longer just selling a product or service. You're creating something that's much more better, much more interesting, and also something that can support you going forward. And, you know, you're, you never really have to worry about where the revenue is coming in if you have people who support you like that. That's very true. Are you familiar with Kevin Kelly's work and his article, A Thousand True Fans? Um, I'm aware of it, but I don't follow other people who write about the same subjects I do. Okay, that makes sense. That's uh, similar to uh, one of the knife manufacturers I talked to. He doesn't look at the designs of other knife makers, uh, and I totally no, understand I, that. Um, I mean, I, I read a lot of books, but I don't read any, um, I, I, except for Seth Godin, I don't read any other marketing books. I really want to focus on my own unique things that I'm familiar with. So no, I, I, I'm aware of that book, but I've never read it. It's actually an article. He didn't write a book. And it's, oh, it's, it's an article. It's only about five, five or six pages long. And he, uh, the point that he makes in that article is uh, pretty much very similar to yours. He says that he he got this from studying bands, and he 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 found that bands um, that had a thousand true fans who would buy everything they put out, who'd go to their shows, could make a living. Basically, could make a, a at least. Uh, uh, $100 a year from each fan that they had so they could make a six-figure living, right? And very, very interesting point. And it's, what's interesting to me is that even though you, you haven't read his work, you know, the, the, the same powerful idea was one that, that has come to you in terms of putting together your book, Fanocracy. And mm -hmm. it's interesting also that you're a fan of the Grateful Dead and that you study bands and how bands do what they do. It seems like, you know, God decided, hey, there's some smart people on earth that I want to bring out this message to the world. I pick you, David Muirman Scott. I pick you, Kevin Kelly. Have these thoughts independently from one another and get them out into the world. And I think that's incredible. That, and it's very powerful. It's an important message for people in the thought leadership game to understand. It is. I think that's absolutely right. And I, I do absolutely agree with it, too. You know, like so many of us who are business people are always searching for that next customer. And sometimes, and I'm guilty of this myself, sometimes we forget about the customers we already have, the people who already support us, the people who are already the fans of the work we've done. No, it's, it's really, really important and really powerful. Well, listen, I'm going to pick up a few copies of your book for myself and for uh, my clients because I think they all need to read this. What about your sons? You know, that's a great idea. I yeah, didn't even think of that. you can say, hey, I talked with this guy a couple of days ago and he wrote this book with his daughter. Let's think about how in, in the future you and I can write these books, a book together one day. You know what? I'm going to do that. And I think they'd both be into it. My older boy, who's 14, he is a high-level soccer player and he's, he's actually an even better basketball player than he is a soccer player, but he's not in an organized basketball league or anything like that. And I think he'd love to write a book like that. And my younger son loves gaming and he loves hockey. He plays high-level hockey. We're in Toronto, oh, nice. Canada. So, nice. you know, that's, that's our thing here. <laughs> nice.
Yeah, it'd be, it'd be fabulous. And I would write any book they'd want to write. It doesn't even matter what the subject is. As long as they'd want to do it with dad, it'd be a beautiful thing for me to do it. There you go. Hey, I had another another thought on thought leadership that I wanted to, to discuss with you and your, your audience. Please. Uh, and that is, you know, a lot of people, when they come up with an idea, um, I'm going to go into the band metaphor again. A lot of people, when they come up with an idea, the first thing they do is they act more like a cover band than a band who writes original music. Here's what mm. I mean by that. Um, they, um, maybe they read a whole bunch of business books about sales, um, and then they want to write a sales book or they want to create some thought leadership or maybe deliver speeches or start a blog or start a podcast about sales, whatever it is, but they're really just parroting things that have already been written before. Um, now the first concept here is, can you, um, instead of of just repeating what other people have said. Can you be wholly an, an original? Can you be someone who writes their own music in a sense in the in the world of, of live music? Um, that's the first observation. The second observation is, can you name it in such a way that you create either a word or a phrase that has the potential to enter the lexicon as the word that people use to describe the thing that you've created. And let me give you a couple of examples of that. I'm good buddies with Seth Godin, and he's got a couple of books whose titles have um, transcended the, the book itself and become used in the business world. One of them is Purple Cow, the idea of a product that's so unique. You know, everyone knows a cow is black and white or brown and white or, or, or solid, brown or black or, or, or white. But wait a minute, a purple cow, that's really unique. So can you create a purple cow? And people use the term purple cow who have never even read the book. The, another example of that is The Long Tail by Chris Anderson. The idea that products have gone to niches because of the internet and selling on Amazon and other places, whereas um, prior to the internet, you had to stock a store, let's say a video um, VCR rental store or a bookstore, you could only get the top five or 10 or 15,000 titles in there. But when you go to Netflix or Amazon, all of a sudden you can have literally millions of titles. Um, so people talk about the long tail without even knowing that it originated as a book by that title. I try to do that myself. And I think for people who are listening in, can you name something that enters the lexicon? And it's super hard because most things don't enter the lexicon. But I had a cool example of this where I created a concept called newsjacking. And I talked about that actually at the Tony Robbins event. You saw well. me at, yeah. Nikki. Um, now, what's cool about newsjacking is that I pioneered that concept of newsjacking. I wrote a short book on that topic of newsjacking. I acquired the URL newsjacking.com. So anyone who's listening and wants to learn about what newsjacking is, you can go to newsjacking.com. Essentially what it means is that you follow what's going on in the news. And then as a thought leader, anytime there's a story that's breaking 
that is somehow related to the subject that you're a thought leader around, you create an instant blog post or an instant video or a social networking post or whatever it might be around that story referencing your your expertise and it's entirely possible that you might get quoted in a story or people might buy your products and services as a result so that's called newsjacking yes. and it became such a popular concept that people all over the world are using the word newsjacking and don't even know that I was the one who pioneered this idea of newsjacking. And so it's super cool to create something. And every single day, people are writing or tweeting or blogging about newsjacking. There's even um, um, marketing agencies that have a newsjacking practice. Other people have written books with newsjacking in the title. Every single day, I see people on my, my social media alerts who talk about newsjacking. And... To tap to cap it all off, newsjacking was recently named as a new word in the Oxford English Dictionary, and the editors of the dictionary mentioned that I was the one who pioneered this idea of newsjacking. So what I love about this for thought leadership, for people in business, uh, is that Number one, I mentioned earlier, don't be a cover band, be original. And then number two, can you name the concept you're thinking about in a way that it transcends even yourself? Uh, and then thirdly, and this is important, if you do that, you need to make it freely available. Um, in other words, don't try to slap a trademark re restriction on it or a copyright restriction on it in some way. Um, you know, many times what th when thought leaders create a methodology, you know, here's my personal methodology. I can sell you my methodology, but don't you give it away to anybody because this is proprietary methodology that you can only get by buying it from me. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but that's not about, that's not thought leadership. Thought leadership is when you get your ideas out into the world and they spread like wildfire. And so the third way to really build an amazing thought leadership practice, number one, don't be a cover band, be, write your original music. Number two, try to name it in such a way that the thing that you name can be more than just you and can live on and have other people talk about it. Then when the, someone enters that word or phrase into Google, they'll come to you. And thirdly, can you make it aspects of it freely available with no registration required, no copyright, no trademark, no kind of legal restrictions on how people use that concept that you invented. That's in my mind the key, the key to being able to make a fabulous living around this idea of thought leadership. This is pure genius. I've taken detailed notes on what you just shared, and it's, I think this is bang on. So we have programs where we teach people how to develop their own thought leadership. And one of, one of my mentors is a fellow from Australia by the name of Matt Church. He created an organization there called Thought Leaders Global. And he mm. created a thought leaders business school there. And he wrote a book with two other thought leaders called The Thought Leader Practice. Mm. And in it, 
is the methodology of how to get the expertise that you have out of you into a structured, coherent format where it's your intellectual property that you've developed and start thinking about who are the people who have the types of problems that this type of methodology could solve and, and put it out there. I mean, that's in a nutshell. So Matt writes a lot of beautiful blog posts. And one of the ones that he put out in late 2019 was very impactful for me. He said, make information free. Yes. Make experiences dear. Mm. And, and I just sat there going, God, that's smart. I wish I'd have thought of that. But yeah. he's absolutely right. And inside of the events that my team and I put together, that's what we've done without consciously articulating it. We give away books. So when we have um, live events again, I'll probably buy 20 or 30 copies of your book. I might reach out to you just to get you to sign them for us, <laughs> for the yeah, folks. Yeah, happy to. Um, so, and, and we give them away. So when people walk in the room on day one, they walk in the room and there's a workbook that we've put together. And inside that, that work on top of that workbook is a name tag, their name tag. They open up the workbook and it's basically a step-by-step -step blueprint on how over the next few days, we're going to help them get some of that expertise out of them and turn it into thought leadership. Because Matt came out with another beautiful phrase about the distinction between an expert and a thought leader. And I think you're going to love this. He said an expert is someone who knows something. A thought leader is someone who's known for knowing something. Okay, interesting. So, so point number three that you made, which is to make your, your, your thought leadership, if you will, to make your ideas freely available so they can spread like wildfire, is absolutely necessary for you to become a thought leader. Otherwise, yes. you're only ever going to be an expert. And it's great to be an expert, but experts are a dime a dozen. They work yep. really hard and they don't make a lot of money. Yes. Thought leaders are rare and valuable. They don't work nearly as hard as experts unless they choose to. And they make a lot of money and they get yep. to make a very big impact. I what think that's absolutely right. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm with you on that um, that formula. And I guess another way to sort of merge those two concepts is that an expert is a cover band and a thought leader plays original music. I love it. An expert is a cover band. I'm going to write that down. That's so good. And a thought leader. So I'm going to be vulnerable here and reveal something to you and to, sure. my, to my listeners. I have for years had some original music within me that I've been afraid to fully bring out. And what I've done um, inside of the work that I do is I've studied the work of some great thought leaders. When we created this podcast, when we created our programs for thought leadership, I had a partner and he introduced me to the work of Matt Church. And we took a lot of, uh, of Matt's work and a lot of my partner's work and we brought it into the world. Now I put my own ideas into the mix and there were some very powerful original ideas that I put into the mix. But the truth of the matter is that the core of it has been Matt Church's work and my former partner's work, right? And I've been sitting here for the last several months, especially after I was at Tony's event with, with you and with um, Tony and with um, Donald Miller and all those other incredible uh, thought leaders who were there. And it's been 
insistently screaming at me, you need to start bringing out more of your own original thinking into the world. Don't just quote Matt all the time, right? (laughs) Don't just quote David Meerman Scott. Don't just quote your former partner. Start coming forward with your stuff. And I'm really good at helping other people get their thought leadership out. And I'm really good at articulating what I learned from them. But now it's time for me to put more of my genius out into the world. And I've been thinking about this so much in the last several days. You know, on Saturday, I was at a a retreat with a group of men. I'm part of a men's group. We were out in nature. We cleared brush. And this was the thing we talked about. And then comes David Meerman Scott today on my podcast. Hmm. And what's the first big idea he gives me (laughs) is don't be a cover band. Create your own original music. So I want to just tell you this idea and our conversation, in my opinion, is no accident. And I want to thank you for bringing it and please continue to expand on it because it's valuable for me. And I believe it's super important for everyone who's listening today. Cool. Absolutely. So you need to, you need to, you know, you know, what's right. You know, you know, you need to do it. You know, you need to get out from behind being an expert and truly be a a thought leader, right, Nikki? And, and um, just uh, what I, what I encourage people to do, to think about, in terms of how they can um, move away from being an expert, a cover band, and become a thought leader, someone who's creating original content. And that is, think about what it is that you're seeing as patterns in the universe that no one else is talking about. There may be other people who see it, but they're not talking about it. What are the patterns in the universe that you see that no one else is talking about. And I've had that spark of recognition several times in my life. The first time was the thing that actually launched my career was um, was that I realized that marketing on the web was not about advertising, but marketing on the web instead was about publishing content. And that was way, way, way back in about 2000, the year 2000. And I started to think deeply about it, started to write about it, um, started to write even more about it, started to speak about it. And then that eventually became my book that came out in 2007 called The New Rules of Marketing and PR, which was essentially the very first book in history of the world where um, I, where it was clearly articulated by somebody that internet marketing is not about advertising, but it's about publishing. And that that's what launched my career. That's what that book sold 400,000 copies so far. And it was a pattern in the universe that I recognized that no one else was no one else was talking about. Maybe other people recognize it. I'm not saying I'm the only person who did, but nobody else was articulating articulating it in the form of a book and and speeches and that's that's incredibly powerful so you know as you're thinking about your own life nikki you know what are the patterns in the universe that you're seeing that other people are talking about that you know you're like oh my god why isn't anybody else talking about 
you know, X, Y, Z. And that's where you can stake your claim in the world of ideas. And there's always going to be ideas. You know, a lot of people say, oh my God, all the good ideas are taken. Um, no, <laughs> there's always room for new ideas out there. There really are. Um, I'll share with you a couple of uh, things that I'm uh, thinking about right now, and I'm going to be doing some of the structured work that uh, Matt taught me about how to get those ideas out and turn them into IP. Are you familiar with Steve Pressfield and his uh, work on, um, on, on artistry, like the war of art and the concept of resistance? You ever um, basic the basic stuff yes but like I said I don't read business I don't read books that are that are you know similar to the stuff I write about yeah so Steve Steve's a writer he he in fact he didn't write his work for business people he wrote it for other writers right and specifically the point that he made um, was very powerful for me but what I believe about it is is a little different than what he said. So he basically said that that uh, for every artist inside each of us is uh, uh, a muse, is a life, is a life we are living, and then there's a life that we ought to be living as artists. And the gap between those two is filled by this force within us called resistance with a capital R. And resistance, he says, is out to stop you from turning your visions into reality. And you need to go into battle with resistance every day as an artist. And he says, you know, entrepreneurs can be artists, but primarily he's writing for writers and other artists like that. But I've been thinking about this a great deal, the, the concept of the life you're living and the life that you ought to be living. And to, to me, I think it's important for me at least that every day I think about this, is the life I'm living today the life I ought to be living? Right. Or is there a gap between that life? And if there is a gap, and almost every day there is a gap, what do I need to do to close that gap? What is the hardest thing that I'm afraid of doing, I don't want to do, the thing that's the, the necessary hard work, the thinking type work for thought leaders, you know, doing a thousand push-ups and a thousand sit-ups if you're looking to be an athlete or in shape, or making 250 sales calls if you're a salesperson. Whatever it is that's daunting and hard but necessary for you to do, I think every, every everyone who's looking to live the life they ought to be living needs to ask that question of themselves every day. Am I living the life I ought to be living? And if the answer is no, what's the gap and what's the hardest thing? What's the one thing that I don't want to do that's tough that I'd rather put off and tackle that first and tackle that with a lot of enthusiasm? And if I can do that more days than I don't, then those good ideas that you talk about that no one else in the universe has seen are just going to naturally bubble up out of doing that work. I think that's probably right. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, I know that's how it works with me. Um, curiosity is incredibly important, you know, to be aware of what's going on around you and be extremely curious and don't get into ruts and, you know, learn as much as you can because it's likely to come from some weird tangent. This the thing that come, becomes your breakthrough idea. At least that's what happened with me. It was weird tangents. So tell me about those weird tangents. I mean, I, I think that would be valuable for, for us to hear that story. 
Well, like, for example, the idea of marketing being about publishing, not being about advertising, that really came from the fact that I spent the early part of my career in the world of publishing. I worked um, at financial news um, organizations like Thomson Reuters and Dow Jones. And so I, I, I understood deeply the world of publishing and how publishing is put together. Um, and then I worked as a marketer. And, um, and so I understood pretty deeply how marketing happens and how marketing works. And I always found it weird and frustrating that people who are professionals in the world of marketing, especially agencies, advertising agencies, always try to convince you to spend money to try to get attention in, in, in the world. Spend money on TV ads or magazine ads or, or later on on the internet on banner ads. And I'm like, no, it doesn't seem right. I mean, you should be creating content and writing content. So it was just a weird set of tangents that came together in my brain and I felt like it was unique based on who I was and who my background was. Absolutely. David, this has been a fascinating conversation uh, and I've really enjoyed it. So uh, listener, you can you can hear from this conversation that David Muirman Scott is the real deal. I highly recommend that you pick up a copy of his latest book, Fanocracy. In fact, go into the catalog of all the books that he's ever written and order all of them. But pick, <laughs> pick up five copies of Fanocracy, one for yourself and one for the four people closest to you in your life. And give that book away to them because it's going to make a huge difference for them in their lives and in their businesses. I'm going to be picking up a, a bunch of copies of this book myself. Uh, I'm going to actually contact David another time and get him to sign them for me. The privileges of being the host of the show. But uh, I'll tell you, I think it's a fabulous, fabulous book, an idea whose time has come. And I thank you for putting that together, David. Oh, my pleasure. And thanks for having me on the show, Nikki. It was fun. No, my pleasure. I hope you'll come back. I'd love to explore some of these topics with you more deeply. So, so David, we, we end off the show by asking you to deliver in kind of bullet point form your top three pieces of advice. We call them expert action steps for our listener to take on to enhance their life or their business. So what do you say? Um, do what you're passionate about and be incredibly passionate about the way you're doing it. Um, number one, and it's going to sound like repetition if you listen to the whole show, but, you know, absolutely write your own music. Don't be a cover band. And, you know, only gravitate to the things that are super interesting to you. Don't try to just do something because the experts tell you to do it. Do the things that are interesting to you. Uh, it's a cliche, and I don't know who said it first, but um, if you're doing the things you love, it doesn't feel like work. That's fantastic. Those are fantastic expert action steps. So listener, to find out more about David Muirman Scott and his books and his work, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. Check out the show notes. We're going to have all the information about his catalog of books in there. Go check him out online as well. The man is absolutely fascinating. I could listen to him for hours. And I do uh, extend an invitation for you to come back, David, because I think what you have to say is very valuable and very important. So thank you. Thanks so much, Nikki. Oh, it's my pleasure. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's amazing guest, the one and only David Meerman Scott, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. Check out the show notes. And 
If you're looking for more help in helping you figure out what your thought leadership is, go to ecircleacademy.com, watch the webinar masterclass that we have on that page. It's absolutely free. Make sure you take really good notes. Until next time, goodbye.